You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Amen, amen. Thank you, Corey, for the announcements. Good morning to everyone. It's good to worship with all of you. I've been all week long just thanking God for this faith community, thanking God for this church, and man, it's just good to gather and to worship, to lift our voices together. I want to take a quick moment to welcome everyone on the live stream. We're so grateful that you're tuning in with us for wherever you're at for this hour here together this morning. If we've never had a chance to meet before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. Grateful that you're joining with us online. Grateful for everyone here. As Corey mentioned, we're studying the book of Romans all summer long, and this is a great opportunity for all of us to grab our Bibles, start in Romans 1, slowly work our way through the book together. It's such a powerful part of the New Testament, and it really deserves a lot of our attention. So we're going to spend 10 weeks studying the book of Romans together. And as I was praying and kind of processing, thinking about this week's scripture, I was reminded of a trip, a missions trip, that I led about six or seven years ago with a dozen or so leaders to the country of Nicaragua. And just a quick side note, if you've never been on a mission trip before, I would highly recommend it. I would highly recommend getting out of your comfort zone, going to another country, experiencing God with believers there, serving Him there. Uh, We go, we try to make sure that we have at least one trip planned per year. Maybe that'll grow in the future, but I'm really excited because our teenagers are going on their first mission trip next month, and that'll be really exciting to hear about their experience. But this trip that I'm talking about, like I said, about six or seven years ago to the country of Nicaragua. Nicaragua is an interesting country. It's almost divided in half. The western side is very influenced by the Latin culture, Hispanic culture. The east side of Nicaragua has a more of an Afro-Caribbean kind of culture and set of values. That's where we were at in the city of Bluefields, where there's a vineyard church. And the Vineyard Church in Bluefields, it's not just a local church community. They also have a school all the way up through high school. They have job training classes. They have a giant garden, a thriving community, part of their um, faith community there. And one of the nights, we all gathered together for a church service. It was a church service that I think will be burned into my memory for years and years and years. They invited all kinds of folks from the community. There were about 100 people there or so, moms, dads, children, people from the school. We all gathered, and we had what you would expect to be kind of a normal church service. I think it was on a Wednesday night. We had worship. The pastor shared an amazing message, and then we began to kind of have our time of ministry and response. But a little bit into that, this crazy thing happened. Basically, the power grid for half the city of Bluefields just shut down. And it, we just went in the, in the dark, complete in the dark. I mean, imagine this sanctuary with no lights, right? It would be a little eerie. All the lights went out, and not just in that little block, half the city, no street lights, uh, no lights in the church, nothing was, nothing was working, and I had my like, little American pastor hat on, right? So I just figured, oh, like this must be the end of church. 
right? We'll, we'll all just like go home and we'll give it a go again tomorrow when the sun comes up. But what I didn't realize was this was a common occurrence in this part of Nicaragua. And so everybody scattered to sides of the rooms and they started opening drawers and coming back out and they were lighting candles one after another, after another, after another. And it became this most beautiful experience where it was still dimly lit, but there were about a hundred people, maybe two or three hundred candles, and it was just lit up over the sanctuary, and it felt like I was in a sacred moment. It felt like I was in a sacred moment. I didn't realize that church wasn't over. It was really just about to begin. And so they worshiped for another 30 minutes. No lights, just candles, no digital art behind the pastor, no guitars plugged into amps with speakers blasting the music. It was just our voices singing and worshiping. About 30 minutes into this impromptu candlelight worship service, the pastor stood up and he said, let's just spend some time thanking God for all that he has done for us. Let's just spend some time worshiping and thanking God for all that he has done. And everyone just spontaneously just started lifting their voices one after another after another. God, thank you for this. God, thank you for that. Thank you for the way you're moving in my life. And I was struck because as I was observing, I realized after about 15, 20, 30 minutes that 90% of what I was hearing was pure thankfulness for their salvation in Christ. You know, like I have my list of what I thank God for, and it's a good list. And I, I think we should thank God for all the things that he has blessed us with. I thank God for my family and this church, the way he provides for us. I thank God for health and friendship and all these things. They make the list, and they should make all of our lists for thanking God. But for 30 minutes, 90% of what I heard was people thanking God for their salvation. God, thank you that I am saved. God, thank you that you have forgiven me. Thank you that you have seen me and you've adopted me into your family. Thank you that I've been washed clean from all of my past mistakes. Thank you that I have a relationship with you, Jesus, that will span eternity. One after another after another. This went on for almost another hour. I mean, when's the last time that you just concentrated all of your efforts on thankfulness to God? When's the last time that in the midst of that moment of gratitude and thankfulness, you spent all of your time thanking God that he just knows you and loves you, has forgiven you and brought you into his family, that he saved you for eternity? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know if you've been forgiven. Or you don't know if you have this eternal kind of relationship that I'm talking about, the one that leads to salvation. And I'm so glad that you're here because at the end of our service time together, we're going to give you an opportunity to make a decision for Christ because God has made a way for you to have an eternal relationship with God. And it can start today by placing your faith in Jesus. It's what our scripture is all about this morning. But that moment in Bluefields, that moment in Bluefields, I became uniquely aware that I personally, I, Jeff, had nothing to offer to the gospel story. I had nothing to offer. It was also quite freeing because it meant that I couldn't mess the gospel story up. Right? And this is good news for all of us. Like, the gospel doesn't need my hype. 
The gospel doesn't need my power. The gospel doesn't need my help. The saving gospel of Jesus Christ only needs my response. It needs my response. This was an amazing night that I will not soon forget. And that moment in Bluefields is what our scripture is about today. It's all about Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. It's all about his love and his power and his acceptance of us. But as we work our way through the scripture, remember that Christianity does ask for our hearts. It does ask for our response. Let's read our scripture for today, Romans 3, verses 21 to 28. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. We are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. This passage is one of the most powerful passages for a doctrine in the Christian faith and a theological truth that has been preached for years and years and years and years. It's the doctrine or the, the set of Christian beliefs known as justification by faith. Justification by faith. God has made a way for you to be made right before him He's made a way for you to be justified before him. And the scripture teaches us that it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Justification simply means the process where you or I or anyone has fallen short of this glorious standard of Christ. We are then made righteous before God. And justification by faith promises you this eternal relationship with God that can start on earth but will live on forevermore. Because of your faith in Jesus, God will 100% forgive you, make you righteous, and invite you to embrace your new identity in Christ. And if you just stop for a moment to think about the theological weight behind that, it's mind-blowing. It seems almost impossible. It seems almost too good to be true because I think we're probably all in the same boat. It doesn't take us very long to realize that I've messed up quite a bit. I know my life. I know how much I've screwed up. 
And the Bible teaches us time and time and time again that when we place our trust in Jesus, we're no longer defined by our mistakes. We're now justified in Jesus Christ. And it's his perfect life that transforms our brokenness. His perfect, sinless life transforms our brokenness. Years ago, 285 years ago, on May 24th, 1738, there was a man named John Wesley who was in London on Aldersgate Street, and he was listening to a commentary be recited, a commentary written by a man named Martin Luther on the book of Romans, the very book that we're studying together this summer. And when he started to listen to this commentary, he said the power of God started to fall upon him and warm his heart in a uniquely spiritual kind of way. Particularly, he said, this began to happen when he realized that his faith in Jesus was what was going to justify him. Not his works, not his behavior, but his faith in Jesus Christ. And he realized, I have to know God in a deeper kind of way. He said, I'm I'm no longer satisfied just thinking about Jesus or agreeing with the teachings of Jesus. I have to know him. My faith has to grow and I have to have a heart change. This strange warming of his heart. He says it was unmistakable and one that would impact him for years and years and years to come. It was so powerful that years later when he told this story, he said, I'm not even sure if I was saved before that moment. It was so defining, and it was so powerful. And that's what we're after, isn't it? That's what we're after. We're after an encounter with the living God. When we study the book of Romans, listen, it's big, it's heady. There's a lot of theological truth, a lot of doctrine in the book of Romans. We will be tempted to just stay in our head all summer long, but God has something fresh for all of us through his word. Each and every one of us can encounter the living God in the book of Romans, the one who came to us and died for us, was brought back to life for us so that we could be justified and transformed through faith in Jesus. We need an encounter with God around the truth that we are justified by faith alone. And I imagine... I imagine that at least for some of us, as we read the book of Romans, or if you're listening to this for maybe the very first time and you're hearing this idea for the very first time, you might have a question that many have had over the years that you might be wrestling with this right now. It's the question, well, why do I need to be justified? Why do I need to be justified? And I I don't think, this is my, I'm stepping stepping out on on a limb here. I don't think we probably need to spend a lot of time here. Because this probably won't come as much of a surprise for most of us, but we mess up. We mess up quite often, actually. We sin. We miss the mark. We do things out of rebellion to God. We fall short. And the moment we start doing well is seemingly the same moment that we start to fall away. The whole three steps forward, two steps back, but slow progress in the right direction, that's even very gracious because at least for me, it feels like one itsy bitsy tiny baby step forward and then collapsing back sometimes worse off than I was when I started. 
Yes, like five people agree. Okay. This is how this is how it works. It, it doesn't always feel like we're growing in our maturity. It feels quite often actually the opposite that we miss the mark and we make mistakes. Listen, we're all in the same boat here. Can we just like level the playing field? We're all in the same boat here. We've all fallen short and rejected God. We've tried to choose our own path and be our own God and worship lesser things. And the quicker we can admit that, the better it's going to be because it is exhausting trying to pretend like you have it all together. Imagine if you spent all that emotional energy on just receiving the gift that God has for you instead of trying to pretend like you've already received it in perfection. We're only fooling ourselves anyway because if you ask the people who are sitting next to you, they will point out quite quickly how often you miss the mark. They will, in their loving kindness, of course. But look at verse 23. This is what it says. For everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. I mean, I don't, sometimes I read the Bible and I think, man, the Lord is just speaking to me right here, right now. This verse is like my verse. We have all fallen short. We've missed God's glorious standard. I have messed up more times than you can imagine. Many of you have heard my story. But I can tell you, it's not just something from the past. In the last year, I've messed up a bunch of times. Last week, I messed up a bunch of times. Yesterday, on my way to church this morning, we're supposed to be really holy, on my way to church this morning. I've already had to apologize to my son once. Listen, this is, my life was a train wreck before I met Jesus. And it's still very much a work in progress today. It's a slow kingdom coming when it comes to following God. But there has been progress. I am growing. I am healing. And it's all thanks to Christ's work in me. But it is a slow kingdom coming. Let's continue reading the book of Romans, verse 23 again, and then I'm going to go a little bit longer. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's where we're all at. Focus on we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Verse 24, yet God. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. Underline the word freely. Freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. We've all fallen short, but God never abandons us to our mistakes. When we rebel against God, when we turn our backs on God, when we fall short of his glorious standard, God doesn't look down upon us from heaven with lightning in his hand like some Zeus-like figure. He doesn't shame us into repentance. He doesn't rub our noses in our mistakes or, or push all of his weight upon us, hoping that we'll just crack under his pressure, saying to himself and anyone who will listen, look, there, you've done it again. You've messed up again. You keep repeating the same sins over and over and over again. I guess I'm just done with you. That's not how it works. That's not how the gospel works. That's not the story of the Bible. That's not God's heart for us. Instead, he sent Jesus Christ, the only one who has ever lived up to God's glorious standard because he lived a perfect and sinless life. 
And at the end of his life, he went to the cross. And he willingly laid his life down so that you could be reconciled to God forever. He gave up his life as a sacrifice on your behalf. And now because of that, it's all about Jesus. His life for yours. His sacrifice to make you whole. And this is an important doctrine for eternity, but it's also an important reality that we have to wrestle with and apply to our lives today. Whether this is the first time you've ever heard about being justified by faith or whether you're hearing about God's good news for the 10,000th time you've been following him your whole life, this is still just as important for us today because we have to remember that you can't pay, pray, or perform your way into heaven. You can't do it. There is nothing that you can do in and of yourself to make yourself justified before God. There is nothing you can do to earn your way in or make yourself righteous enough before God. You can't pay your way in, you can't pray your way in, and you can't perform enough good deeds in your life. It's justification by faith and faith in Jesus Christ. One of the major mistakes of religious leaders in our day and in the day when this book of Romans was written, by the way, is that if we just behave better, if we just behave better, if we act better, if we give more money in the offering, if we attend church more frequently, if we do more good deeds in our life, then somehow we'll, we'll catch God off guard and we'll finally sneak in. That somehow we'll, we'll catch his eye and get his attention and we'll be allowed into heaven. But it doesn't work that way. Look at verse 27 and 28. It says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Your righteousness, your justification is based on faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law, not by obeying the rules, and not by looking so religious that you get a free pass. You can't pay, pray, or perform your way into heaven. And listen, we give all the time. My wife Natalie and I, we give all the time. We encourage you to give all of the time. The Bible teaches you to give all the time. But it's not so that you can like pay for forgiveness. It's not because you've messed up and now you need to cover your deeds with an offering. That's not how it works. We give out of worship. We give because we don't want to love money. We want to love God. We, we give because he's been so generous to us that it's the least we can do is be generous back to him. We can't pay for righteousness. We can't pay for justification. It's the same thing with prayer. We pray out of worship. We pray because we believe that Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with us, that he loves hearing our voice. We pray because we, we trust and we know that prayer changes us from the inside out and it influences the world around us. That's why we pray. We don't pray because if we say the right prayer in the right way or the right amount of times that somehow the doors of heaven are swung wide open for us. And of course we encourage good deeds. Our mission statement, when you walk out of this church, is joining God's mission, transforming all things. That does require a bit of action on our part, doesn't it? 
We really believe that. We really believe that we are joining God's mission, transforming all things, that we are going to be the hands and feet of Jesus on earth today. So we want our lives to be filled with good deeds, and we want to represent Jesus to the world around us. We want to be lights to the hurting world. But those things don't earn our spot in heaven. They're done out of response. We can't start thinking that it's our deeds that open the doorway to heaven. Justification doesn't happen when you pay, pray, or perform. It only happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is why Christianity can be offensive at times. Because people like to pay their own way in. People like to do enough good stuff to kind of demonstrate that they deserve to get in. People like proving their worth. And if you stack enough good deeds up, if you give enough, if you pray enough, then all of a sudden you have a measuring stick that you can compare yourself to everyone else around you and say, I don't know, if they're in, I'm definitely in. That's not how the gospel works. And here's one of my concerns as a pastor. Here's one of my concerns as your pastor. That I have watched people over time replace their faith in Jesus Christ, their, their first found love, their first found faith in Jesus with what I would call a shiny new Christian resume. And after a while, instead of clinging to the cross and finding yourself resting in the shadow of the cross, you now pull out your resume, your proverbial sheet, and you say, well, look at all the good things that I've done. And we start to lean away from the cross and towards our resume. And when we talk to others, when we talk to God, we remind him of everything that we've done instead of reminding him what he has already done. We think to ourselves, man, God will definitely love me now. And not only that, all the other church folk, they'll be really impressed with me because of my shiny new Christian resume. And I'm afraid that some of us have started with faith alone and we've slowly been replacing it with works. I talked about this last week, but the scripture reminds us again, and you're going to see it throughout the book of Romans, that our faith in Jesus Christ, our relationship rather, our relationship with Jesus Christ, it starts and finishes with faith. It starts and finishes with faith. It doesn't start with faith and then finish with works over time. It doesn't start with works and then somehow we magically get the faith. Also, this is a common belief that it's 50% faith, 50% works, that equals 100% together, and so now we're in. We know faith without works is dead, right? But we don't do those things to earn God's favor. We do good works as a display of our faith, not to earn anything with God. It's 100% faith, and then afterwards, as a display of this newfound faith, we're compelled to join his work. We do the work. We do the work. At the vineyard, we are all about doing the work, but it just doesn't make us righteous. And one of the lingering problems when you begin to trust in your resume, instead of the cross, is that when you're doing really, really well, you can be tempted to pride. When you're doing really, really poorly, you can be tempted to be ashamed. When you put all of your trust in your own Christian resume, when things are going good, you can have a certain Christian arrogance about you. And when things are going poorly, you just feel the shame. This might be God speaking to some of you, I hope, 
This is God speaking to some of you this morning. I want to be loving and direct and honest with you when I say it. Some of us, some of us need to burn that resume and forget about it. And others, we need to stop punishing ourselves for the mistakes that we've made. Some of you need to burn the resume and some of you need to stop punishing yourself. Jesus has already taken on all the penalty. He took it upon himself. And listen, I have done this for years. If I'm not careful, I can still do it today. If I make a mistake, I can feel like I've got to read the Bible a whole bunch of times before I can actually enter into his presence. If I make a mistake, I feel like I need to confess my sins for like two or three prayer times straight before I can just walk into his presence and say, will you show me your love again? Can I feel your grace again? I've created this like man-made penance for myself that says I have to go through all these hoops in order to experience his grace again when all along he's just, he's waiting for me to rush back into his arms. That's shame. That's shame. And Jesus died so that we could nail all of our junk to the cross and immediately walk right back into his presence. Immediately be welcomed back into his presence. Immediately as in today. As in if you are struggling with shame today, you can stop punishing yourself today and you can be ushered right back into his presence today. You can walk in with shame and you can walk out with freedom in Christ because of all that he has done for you. All the punishment, all the shame, and all of the sin has already been nailed to the cross. It's already been defeated by Christ. Jesus paid for it all. And you can be justified by faith this morning. I wanna close with a quote from one of my favorite pastors and theologians recently passed away, a man by the name of Tim Keller. The gospel is this, Tim wrote, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Tim's basically saying, if you were speaking to me, Jeff, it's worse than you think. It's, wor it's worse than you actually think. I mean, yeah, I know you think, like you're kind of self-aware, you think it's kind of bad, it's actually worse than you think. But the love of Jesus Christ far outweighs your mistakes. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ far outweighs your failures. The acceptance and unconditional love of Jesus Christ far outweighs your flaws. Most people I lead and pastor and pray don't have a hard time remembering their shortcomings. Even right now, you probably don't have to look very far back, like I started with this morning. You probably don't have to look very far back to find your own mistakes, failures, and flaws. What most people need to be reminded of is that Jesus Christ came for you and died for you, was brought back to life for you so that you could be 100% totally and utterly forgiven, set right with God, adopted into his family, brought close to him so that you could experience his love. 
And we can't boast about any of that because it's not about our resume. It's not all about our resume. It's about his resume. All that we have to do is respond with thankfulness and faith. So my mission trip to Bluefields was so special because it was this glorious reminder in my life that my Christian faith doesn't require a polished resume because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is all that I need. When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant it is finished. His life for mine, his life for yours, so that we can be forgiven forever and welcomed into his family. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.